I feel like 715 is one of those uh, family moments that we get to have. So I just want to say, Charles, that was really good. This guy has a beautiful soul. It's just so wonderful. And our praise team and worship and songs and just everything that we do here, there's such a power and grace. So we thank you, everyone who's serving and, and at home joining um, and to worship with us. Uh, my name is June, and I'm pastor here at Grace. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'd love to share, continue to share with you from, from Colossians. So if you want to turn your Bible to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20, we'll uh, camp there and study those passages together. Last week, Miata talked about being filled, and how she, she talked about it was abiding in Christ, and, and when we abide in Christ and when we become God-centered instead of us being me-centered, then there's such an overflow, almost a cleansing, and we had that wonderful visual image of God filling us. Now, we're going to continue to today's passage, and we're going to jump in, and we're going to go into the main theme of the whole book, which is the preeminence of Christ. So let's read from verse 15 to 20. And we'll pray and we'll study together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is, the head of the, he, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Father, whenever you open your word, we ask that it won't be the wisdom of men, but we want the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll touch our family at home, worshiping, eager, and hungry for your word. Bless us and speak to us in a way that only you can speak. It is in your name I pray. Amen. You know, tonight as we sang, JC declared prophetically that it's about perspective. And Charles brought that home. I agree because tonight's word is all about perspective. Because Colossians, they still believed in Jesus. But the Jesus that they believed became smaller over time. Which wasn't the true Jesus. Because whenever God becomes smaller in our perspective, something else becomes bigger. And it's all about the refocus and tuning of our perspective that we see in this passage. In, in Chronicles Narnia, a lot of you probably watched the movie or read the book. There's an interesting scene, and when I first read it or saw it, I said, I don't even know what that meant. So Lucy was the one on the journey, and Aslan is the image of Christ in that movie, right? And he's the lion, and they meet, and Lucy had been searching and, and traveling in and, and, and her journey and, and meets finally, and Aslan says to Lucy, you're bigger. Aslan, I'm sorry, Lucy says to Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan says, that is because you're older, little one. And Lucy says, not because you are. And Aslan, the wise one, says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. At first I said, that doesn't even make sense. Every year I grow, Christ will become bigger? 
And then more and more I thought about it and meditated on it, I realized that's it. We don't have these kind of things happening in this world. But in God's kingdom, as we grow in Christ, as we mature, as we get sanctified, Christ is bigger. Despite the circumstances of 2020, if we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Christ in us will be bigger, not the circumstances, not the situations, not the finances, not the relationships, not the internal issues or the emotional issues or relational issues, but Christ in us will be bigger. And that's what Paul wants to talk about in this passage. And here's something interesting. The tact that Paul uses is so interesting because with Romans, it was kind of like one-two punch right away. He goes, he jumps right in. Chapter one, he greets, and then he just names all these sins, and the Jewish readers are going, that's pretty bad. And, 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 and Paul's like, yeah, same for you. You committed the same sin. So he jumps in the gospel with a punch. With Colossians, it's a different kind of approach. It's just a gentle, nice way of saying, remember who Christ is. It's a different tact. I remember visiting a, a, a friend's home, and he had a, a son, and he would just run into everything. You know one of those child who's just born to just run into everything, and, and he just likes adventure, and the way he treats him was so different. He would wrestle with him. He would just punch him sometimes, let him punch back, and that's how he would talk to him. But he had a daughter, and how he treated her was so different because she was all about gentleness, it's all about patience with her. I said, that's interesting, but that's what God does sometimes to us. Because he's talking to, right now in this passage, the same thing. He's talking to Christians who believe in Christ and wants to believe in Christ, yet is struggling to see Christ. Or maybe there is error that entered through some heresy in that body to say, Christ is not who Paul taught you to be. So here's this letter gently correcting, yet in a way of worship to say, hey, remember who Christ is because when you put him in the right place, everything else just lines up and your perspective becomes different. Your perspective becomes different. And how he does that is through praise and worship, praise and worship. As we jump to verse 15 to 18, you'll notice that even further, it's all about a hymn. Some scholars would say it was a hymn written by someone else that Paul's borrowing, but I actually don't think so. I think it's a hymn that Paul wrote, probably one of the most beautiful sentences and words beaded together in the Bible, possibly. Beautifully put together. So let's jump right in. Verse 15, this is what Paul says. He, Christ, remember church, he is the image of the invisible God. He's that image, the firstborn of all creation. And you'll find this theme repeated, first, being the first. Because in 17, you'll find before all things, 18, head over all the church. 18, again, beginning, the firstborn and the dead. Depending on the culture, being the firstborn had some benefits. Some cultures don't have any benefits at all. Israelites had this benefit of if you're the firstborn, you get the twice portion of the inheritance from the father. Um, I, I grew up in a culture where first was honored a lot more. I'm the second born of the family. I got less. Just different, culturally different. Am I hurt? Maybe. Is God healing me? Yes. Culturally, just different. So the Bible is focusing to say first matters. First matters, and Christ is the firstborn. But yet, 
It's not that simple because he would move on to say, yes, he's the firstborn of creation, yet at the same time, verse 16, for by him all things were created. Oh, wait, wait, this is interesting. So he's the firstborn of all creation. So it almost makes him sound like he was created, but you and I know he wasn't created because in the past in Christianity, there are some scholars who had errors about this to say, you know, he was created. So there was a moment that he wasn't, therefore, he's really not God. But that's not what Paul's saying. No, no, he is the firstborn, yet at the same time, he's the creator of all things. And in our head, we're thinking, how, is, how are those two things, how are they supposed to go together like this? We can't understand it fully. That's the beauty of this passage. The preeminence of Jesus will always say, yeah, let me share a little bit, a little bit of mystery to you, but you and I know in this side of glory, we will never fully, fully understand who Christ is. More every day, sure. More every day, surely, but not the whole thing. So what I love about this passage is this. He's a creator, yet he's the firstborn. So here's this interesting theology that says hierarchy theology. And, and, the, and the meaning of it is like, the, the, the theory behind it is this. So some male figures would say something like this. Hierarchically, because male was created before female, hierarchically they're higher. Some of you are cringing in the room. I can see it from my spiritual eyes. You're like, What? How is that even, is how did, I know, I know. But there is that theology to say because he was made first, he's better than she. Now, and then to, to someone like that, I would say, okay, okay, okay. So you're saying because you're made first or, or before the woman, you're high, higher or hierarchically better. Let me ask you this question. Remember we were created kind of later in the week, like sixth day? Then what was created before us then? Okay, let's revisit, shall we? What about the worms? Goldfishes were created before us. Squirrels were created before us. So you're saying with that logic, they are better than us? Hierarchically? That can't make any kind of sense. So here's the thing. When we try to understand what this means to be first in our mindset, only in our culture, something goes wrong. And God is saying, yeah, Christ is a little different from you and others. Christ is preeminent. We can't help but to worship him because he's so different from us. Yes, he is the ultimate first. It's not a relative first. It's an absolute first. It's a first that we cannot fully understand because he is the firstborn, yet he's the creator of all things. That's the beauty of this passage. That's we're saying Christ You're so big, Jesus, you're so big that we can't even understand this fully or comprehend. That's why I can't help but to worship you, Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing. He's breaking out into songs and poets and hymns saying, I just have to worship him right now. Church, join me right now because something in your soul will be made right when you do so. Because Jesus in you became smaller. No, 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 no. You can't do that. He's much greater than us. Let's magnify the Lord and something in our souls aligns. And that's what we see in this passage. Let's continue. The B part of verse 16. He further honors and exalts Christ to say he created everything in heaven and on earth. So everything, visible and invisible, natural and spiritual as well. Whether thrones 
or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is what Paul is saying. By the way, family, he created everything too. He's not only the first, but he created everything, including, and he includes this intentionally, the spiritual things. And you know what? This is where spiritual battle, this is where it gets actually hard without us knowing. When we lose perspective of who Christ is, that is spiritual warfare itself. Hear me, family. When we start to see other things bigger than Christ, that in itself is spiritual warfare. Because he names the powers of the invisibles, right? It goes to say, and he does this in order. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I don't care how or what level they're in in the spiritual realm. It was created by God. He only is the, he is the creator. He created all things and everything was created by him and for him. So whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, whatever spiritual warfare that you are in, I am in, it does not matter. This, Bible, this, this, this book is saying if you put Christ where he is, the preeminence of Christ, everything else aligns as well. You don't need to fight so hard anymore because you notice Christ in you is fighting for you. And that is enough. That is a lot better than you fighting by yourself. Oh, I am all for let's do some spiritual warfare and, and kick, kick, kick the devil in the, in the uh, places that I really shouldn't say because I meant to say something else because I got a little tense right now, but I should calm down a little bit. I'm all for that. Let's go and fight warfare. But hear me. Sometimes in our warfare, in our prayer, because I know we have prayer warriors who are tuning in, we forget to put Christ where he is. This is not about us. Our warfare is about the Lord and who he is, the preeminence of Christ. And Paul is pausing to say, yeah, he created all things. Yeah, the things that you see and feel and touch and eat and and relate to, but no, no, not only those things. Everything else, invisible, in heaven and earth, dominion, dominion, power, authorities, doesn't matter, all of it. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. Once we had a conference and I was in the front row listening and here's this preacher and it was this great, this man of God who hears the voice of God and he was prophesying. And you know one of those moments where we have like presbytery and then we're prophesying, you're sitting in the road and maybe you have those moments and you're kind of, you almost want to raise your hand, you're like, me, please prophesy over me, but you don't. You kind of act like, I'm kind of uninterested. I'm just worshiping Jesus, that's all. But you're just kind of hanging, right? But you, all, you almost want like, oh, I'm kind of wishing that he would speak to me, right? And I'm kind of sitting there doing that, right? And at, <laughs> and at the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm the pastor here. Why am I so, I'm so selfish. Yet I'm like, God, I still kind of would be nice if I get some encouragement too. And I'm just kind of looking to the, you know, looking to the preacher and I'm seeing and, and suddenly, God shows me something. He's this great man. He's just sitting there, and he's just listening to God and ministering. And, and, an, and, and an image of an order opens up on top of it. It was in this sanctuary, what you're seeing. And I saw, like, orders of things. I'm like, God, I don't even know what that is. That is a little much. I just needed a little word of encouragement. But okay, I'll take it. And I had to just pray into it over and over and over and over. And what I realized was this. When we lead or when we're in your, I don't know, wherever you are, in your company, in your business, or even in, in government, you, you know we have orders. Maybe you're in military, some of you, and you know what it means to have order. What I forgot was in the spiritual realm, because 
Our God is a great king. He's the best leader ever. That everything that he does, it's in order in the spiritual realm. And I forgot that. And somehow when I really felt it in my soul, yeah, things are in order. Of course, when God says it's a go, everything bows down and obeys to our father. That's it. I do as well and we shall. We should. And then I noticed, okay, something in me just found encouragement and peace. Just because I noticed the order of things. Because hear me, family, what we're losing right now is order. We, we're losing the sense of order in this country and in your soul, in your family right now. And what God wants to do is restore that order to say, you know what? When I'm in rule, I, I am your Lord. When I rule, everything's in order. Everything in everything. Satan, yeah, he is put in his place when I rule. That's what it means when we pray and sing things, things like kingdom come. Because when kingdom comes, king came, and he's ruling, and everything is in order. And that's what God is saying. Remember the preeminence of Christ, preeminence of Christ, and we can't help but to worship him. Yes, you are the ruler. You are the king. You're not only the firstborn. You're not only the one who created all things, but you rule everything, and they all serve you. And that's why Paul is saying, let's just worship Jesus. Let's not make him any less than he is. Let's study further, 17. And it even builds up from there. And he is before all things. And wait, 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 you're thinking, you said he was the firstborn. How is he before all things? So he wasn't really birthed, but he's the firstborn because he's all things. Okay, whatever, Paul. Okay, I don't understand, but just glorify God. This is so beautiful. And in him, all things hold together. Okay, Here's something that's beautiful. With God, whenever God shows up, everything, in, in every area of your life, the best is yet to come. The, it's, it's never, this is as good as it gets. This is pretty good, you might say, but it's, oh, the best is still yet to come because kingdom hasn't come yet fully. This is what's so beautiful because this is what it says. He is before all things. He created all things, yet in him all things hold together. So he doesn't only create, but he sustains he doesn't only create things but he sustains things whenever he starts something he is the one that is faithful to finish it isn't that the word that you and i need isn't that the perspective that you and i need that that sturdiness and faithfulness don't have to rise out of us or rather it will be bestowed from heaven on us because he's the one who sustains i know some of us feel right now I know God wants to speak to some of you right now. You feel weak. You're like, I don't know how much longer I can take this. I don't know how much longer I can go. And God is saying, I am your rock. I am faithful. It is my faithfulness, not your faithfulness, that will get you through this. Family, he's the sustainer. And that we can relax. He's the sustainer. We can strive, rest, strive less because he's the sustainer. I love that idea that with God, that the best is always yet to come. So imagine, so if someone would come to me and ask this question, so what, you know, what, what, what is your best moment with your wife? If I say, oh, you know, with the uh, 14 years of marriage, my best moment was my wedding day. Do you think my wife would be offended? Yeah, she should be. 
What about the last 14 years? It just went downhill from that point? And I, do I plan to go downhill from that point? If I declare that, yes, my life will probably go downhill from that point on. So I shouldn't say that. Hear me, family. Re- remember, remember, it's okay. Remember your first date with your loved one, your spouse, or, or that first kiss, or if I could get more graphic, first night of worship. First night of worship. What were you thinking at home? Got you. First night of worship after fasting for three days. Remember those moments, those first moments? Those were awesome. There's such a purity and an amazing bond about it. But yet, when God shows up in your marriage, the best is still yet to come. It always comes great. The intimacy gets greater. Our church, we go from glory to glory. If you, any of us have that doubt, Man, 38 years, God's been so faithful. This God, this house has been amazing. Yet, you know, I hear our pastor is kind of semi-retiring. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. You know, I mean, church plan, DC, so wonderful, but I, I don't know, kind of scared about the change. No, we will go from glory to glory because Jesus Christ himself is preeminent. Pastor, what are you saying? How do we go from glory to glory? I don't know. But because Christ is preeminent, we will go from glory to glory. We shall go from glory to glory. And that is our faith because he's not only the creator, but because he's the sustainer. Because he's not only the one who starts things, but he's the one who finishes things. Because he's the king who came, but he will come as well. He's the king that is going to come to rule and restore all things to the way that he originally intended. In his full glory and in his full goodwill. That's going to come. The best is yet to come whenever you walk with Christ. In your marriage, in your life, in your soul, in your worship. The best is still yet to come. That's what this passage is saying. Remember who Christ is. is He's preeminent and he's in you, Paul is saying. And be encouraged as you find that perspective in your soul. Something gets better. Something heals in that worship because Jesus is preeminent. There are those of us, I guess a lot of us, we feel like 2020 is just, God, God, it just, I, we could go back to 2019. It, it was just normal. No, let's not pray that. Let's pray for the best that is yet to come. Let's not go back to normal. As, Paul, as, as Pastor Jim would usually, you know, often say, it's a shift. And Pastor Duke first week said this, we are going into a shift. We're asking for God to do something that is better than 2019. That is the faith. Not, only, not because the circumstances show that to us, but we say, no, we see that because we believe in the Lord. Because he, the Christ in us, is preeminent. And verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that is everything he might be preeminent i love it it's all about jesus this is focusing to jesus saying i'll just magnify him isn't he so good isn't he so glorious he's so wonderful isn't he church paul is just declaring those things he's panning he's panning these letters is so beautiful i was once having a a moment of discipleship with a young man 
And, you know, young people, is fine. They go through these moments of, uh, you know, challenge their beliefs and different things. And he just goes, he was studying the Bible. He just, talk, he just looks to me and says this. It was a passage similar to this. He says this. You know, God seems to be so narcissistic. I'm like, pardon? Yeah, it's all, it's all about God in this Bible. Yeah, it's the Bible. So it is all about God. But hey. It's like, no, I mean, it's just like, and if I am selfish, God calls me selfish, but God seems to be so narcissistic. And I was like, you know what? I don't have the best illustration, but let me just, let me share this with you. The world that we live in, we call this a solar system because in the center of our, our system, there's the sun. Now, in the history, they misunderstood and argued against it, but later we realized earth is not the center, but the sun is the center. Are you mad at the fact that the sun, the sun is the center of the solar system? You're not, and actually, your science will tell you that if the sun is misaligned even a little bit, it's off-center from the system, you and I would probably either freeze to death or burn to death. So we actually need the sun to be in the center, don't we? Because when the sun is in the center, everything else is aligned and everything else is healthy and well. Can I say that, yes, if you become the center of the universe, you're going to ruin everything, you're going to destroy everything because you're not the center of the universe. But God is the center of the universe. So because he is the, when he becomes the center of the universe, you and I will be in the right places and we'll all be healthy and well. You're not going to burn to death. You're not going to freeze to death when God is. Your soul will not because he's the center of your heart. That's what Paul is doing. Oh, the sun, God himself, the light himself is misaligned a little bit in your heart's family. And Paul is saying, Let's put him in the center again and see what happens. As an application, what is Paul saying? What is he doing that we can take away? Worship Jesus. These are moments where we need to worship like never before. And can I just encourage you, family? I love you, proud of you, because you tuned in Wednesday night to worship Jesus at home. A worshiping at home with just the screen or iPad or TV or even a phone, it's hard. But you love Jesus. You love worshiping him. You love his word. That's why you're tuning in in the middle of the week. God bless you. And, and keep on doing that. Keep on doing that. And bring more people, people that you love, and invite them to join in. Why? Because we need to worship like never before. Put the sun in the middle of your universe. Put him there. And then see what happens. See what happens to your soul, the peace and the joy and the gratitude and the contentment that comes to find your soul. And suddenly you find yourself, everything's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's okay. Because the son, Christ himself, the preeminent one, is who he is in my life. And that makes everything better. I'll close with 19 to 20. Let's finish this passage. It says this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this is the fullness of God himself in a human being. And then with that, what does he do? And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's so good that with his preeminence, he doesn't use it for his glory. He uses for our reconciliation with the Father. He's amazing. 
And if you actually go back to verse 14, this praise broke out because of the forgiveness of sin. Go back to verse 14 and read it, what Miata preached last week. And then from that point of forgiveness of sin, he's saying from all these things that he's, he's, he's the preeminence of Christ, what he's doing is he's taking it and using it not for himself, but for us to be reconciled. What is the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Verse 14 and verse 20 here. If you, get, if you forgive someone, this is what it sounds like. You can go. You're forgiven, you can go. What does reconciliation sound like? You and I are reconciled. You can come. It's not only release of a debt, but it's to say, you and I are not family, and this bond will never be broken. That's reconciliation. So this whole section started with the forgiveness of Christ, and then Paul almost explodes into praise and worship that's magnificent, just making Christ more and much. And at the end of it, he says, but he doesn't, he doesn't use it for himself. Family, remember what he did with the glory that he had, the preeminence that he had? He reconciled you and I to the Father. And all creations to the Father. Isn't he wonderful? He starts to worship Jesus. And those of you who are maybe tuning in if you feel like that reconciliation with the Father is not there for you right now in your life, he wants to give that to you right now in this moment. I know we're all going through a lot of limitations and challenges in our lives, but perspective helps. Several years ago, a Methodist bishop from Angolia visited several universities and seminaries and churches in the States. And you know, they went through tremendous suffering in the church. And every stop he made, a lot of Christians and leaders would come and ask him things like this. Man, how is the Angolian church surviving under the communist government? And he reported saying this, we're actually thriving. We're growing by 10% every year, some years more. They're amazed. We're amazed. And then he pushed, they pushed the question further. What if the government became strong enough to shut down churches. The question was asked. He thought for a second. That man of faith, that leader said this. Our church had its most rapid growth during the revolution when so many of our members were in jail. Jail is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for evangelism. Isn't that some kind of perspective family? Oh, we, we are isolated, quarantine, social distance. But I wonder if our perspective faith can change what it feels like a jail or limitations to a tool of evangelism and winning the city as God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we need that perspective and we can't create it. We need you to give and bestow that on us by your grace. So would you be so kind to do so? We will never know how beautiful and wonderful Christ is. We will never fully understand. That's okay. Because that, that amazement is just that all is what draws us to our knees to worship you, to say, God, 
I'm so glad you're so much bigger than me and so much greater and you're in control, yet you're so good. You're using your preeminence to reconcile us. How great are you, Daddy? Help us with that perspective. And thank you for restoring that with this book through our pastors and our leaders. Those of you who are not sure if you're reconciled to the Father or if you'd like to be at home where you are, it's very simple. The Father is inviting you. He doesn't just want to say, you're free to go. He wants to say, you're free to come. Because He wants to embrace you, love on you, bless you, hold you. The preeminent one wants you to be in His family. If you like that, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. But thank you for dying for my sins and being raised up on the third day. I receive you as my Lord my Savior, and my Reconciler. Thank you for inviting me to your eternal family. I want to abide in you now and forever. Father, I just pray for everyone who pray that prayer. And I pray for everyone who's not receiving Christ for the first time, but who wants to say, I need that reconciliation with, with the Father. Would you come and visit our family members right now? Those who've been calling out late night in the bed, crying, not being able to go to bed, go to sleep, to say, God, I need that peace. Help them, would you? Heal them, would you? By your grace, by your power. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you just made the decision to receive Lord and be reconciled to the Father, congratulations. We'd love to hear from you and be connected to you. So if you could text New Life to 25827 or in the chat box, just click raise your hand and then connect with us. We would love to connect with you and share with you the next steps.